Shalom, I'm Mitch Glazer, President of Chosen People Ministries. Well, welcome to the Chosen People, especially as we prepare our hearts and minds to celebrate the first of the major Jewish holidays that we observe in the autumn. The first is Rosh Hashanah, the head of the year, the new year, which begins on Monday. And my colleague and Brooklyn director and New York regional director for Chosen People Ministries, Robert Walter and I would like to talk a little bit with you about Rosh Hashanah and about faith and about Abraham and Isaac and so many other wonderful uh, biblical truths that uh, grow out of the Rosh Hashanah story. Traditionally, the Jewish community actually reads what we call the Akedah, literally binding, the story of the binding of Isaac from Genesis chapter 22. And we read this in the synagogue on Rosh Hashanah because the sounding of the shofar, the ram's horn, reminds us of the ram sacrificed in Isaac's place. Right, Bobby? That's right, Mitch. Welcome to the program, everyone. This is definitely an interesting topic, one that when we come to Genesis 22, there's quite a few uh, really significant spiritual ramifications for believers in Messiah today. And I am really looking forward, Mitch, to really digging into this topic. Yeah. If you missed some of the shows where we were talking about the overview of the festivals, you can go to chosenpeople.com slash radio, and you'll be able to listen to them. The first is Rosh Hashanah, the head of the year. The second, 10 days later, is Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Mm -hmm. Then five days later after that is Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles. We see three great overarching themes for these three great festivals. Rosh Hashanah focuses on repentance. Yom Kippur focuses on atonement. Literally, it is the Day of Atonement. Sukkot, or Tabernacles, focuses on joy. And joy is our response. It's a rightful response of all believers who have repented of their sins and found atonement in Yeshua, Jesus, the Messiah. So let's drop back again to Rosh Hashanah. And Bobby, tell us a little bit about the shofar. What is it? Why is it blown? What kind of sound does it make? And why is it important to the story? Yeah, so the shofar, like you mentioned, it's a ram's horn that's taken and and basically bored out. So you make an instrument out of this this horn out of this this ram's horn and it would u- it was used for uh, multiple different reasons and had lots of different purposes in the ancient near east and in the scripture so it would be used for battle you know if one army uh, was going into battle against another the ram's horn would be used as sort of a rallying cry and really to strike fear into the hearts of your enemies the ram's horns were also used as a way to signal the arrival of the king. So if the king of Israel, if the procession of the king was approaching a town or a city or or wherever, the ram's horns would be blown to signal that the king is on his way. And then of course, like you mentioned, the ram's horn is also related with this idea of repentance because it would be used in temple worship as a way to signal 
internal introspection, this time of making sure that your heart is right before the Lord. And the reason that it's used, the reason that the shofar is blown on Rosh Hashanah, it's taken from Leviticus 23, verse 23, where we initially get the command about this holiday, about this feast. And this is what it says. Again, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the sons of Israel, saying in the seventh month, on the first of the month, you shall have a rest, a reminder by blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall not do any laborious work, but you shall present an offering by fire to the Lord. Bobby, one of the most interesting parts about that text, I think, is that we read the blowing of the trumpet. It's actually the day of the blowing. It's Yom Truah. And actually, the Hebrew word Truah is not pronounceable. It's actually the sound that the trumpet makes. Truah. Right. And right. Uh, I'm not going to go through the whole, <laughs> I'm yeah. not going to go through the whole thing. I think but, that's called uh, onomatopoeia. It is an on, yeah. Right. I know it was something like that. I went to the New York City school system, Bobby. So I've okay. Well, New Jersey's more advanced. So yeah. And I remember growing up in a very orthodox kind of atmosphere in New York City. And, you know, some of the Jewish holidays, particularly on the, when you're orthodox, which I went to an Orthodox Hebrew school. My father was not particularly Orthodox, but he became far more religious at the holidays, like a lot of Jewish people. And my dad would take me to what was really a, a little synagogue that was carved out of the basement of a home. Mm-hmm. In I grew up in the borough of Queens, where we actually had some basements, unlike Manhattan and some other boroughs. Mm-hmm. And it was very close quarters, Bobby, I got to tell you. you know, Sounds and, like it. And you had, you know... 30, 40 Jewish men, because the women were not in there, 30, 40 Jewish men who came to hear the blowing of the shofar. And I remember sitting there as a kid, and uh, whoever it was who was going to blow the shofar got up in front and blew it. And I'm tell- the last blast of the shofar, you right. kind of hold until you pass out from yeah. lack of breath. Yeah. It's, it's like an elongated note. It, go, it goes on forever. It's Tekiya Gadol, the, the great Tekiya. Right. And I'm telling you, all I wanted to do, Bobby, was run out of the room. And But but it, it really explains the relationship in the Jewish mindset between repentance and the blowing of the shofar. Yeah. It is supposed to make you feel uncomfortable. But exactly. boy, boy, did it make me feel uncomfortable. And so it's supposed to make you want to crawl out of your skin yeah. And I always love it when I meet folks who say, I really love the sound of the shofar. I said, then they weren't blowing it properly. You know? <laughs> You're know, you not supposed to love it. It's supposed to drive you insane. Right. Right. And it's supposed to drive you into introspection right. so that you begin thinking about your own sin. And that's that's the blowing of the shofar that I grew up with, Bobby. You're absolutely right. I mean, it's supposed to make you feel unsettled so that you can get your affairs in order and, and get your life straight, you know, because again, it sort of tied in with this idea of the king is coming, you know, which is a big theme during Rosh Hashanah. Now, another interesting connection with Rosh Hashanah and the blowing of the ram's horn, the shofar, is Genesis 22, is what you mentioned earlier. It's called the Akedah, the binding of Isaac. And Mitch, tell us why What's the connection? What's the connection between Rosh Hashanah and Genesis 22? Because we know that this scripture is meditated upon, it's read in the synagogues every year at this time. 
So God told Abram to take his son, his only son, his beloved son, the son of his love. Abraham, uh, if you remember, said, Hineni, here am I. And that's what I used to say when the role was called in Hebrew school. <laughs> you know, it just basically means here, mm-hmm. I'm available. And uh, so God called out to Abram and immediately, he was on what I call a hair trigger obedience. So immediately, Abram didn't know what God wanted, but he just said, here am I, I'm mm-hmm. available. And then God said, take your son, your only son, the son of your love, go up to Mount Moriah and make a sacrifice. Well, at that point, I don't think Abram was really totally clear yet uh, about what God was calling him to do, but I think he was getting the picture. And so they start walking up the mountain, and uh, I think Abram is maybe sort of hoping it wouldn't happen, but he's walking up the mountain. Isaac, who is a na'ar, which is probably a late teenager in -hmm. Hebrew, and he was carrying the wood on his back. And if you remember Abram, uh, Isaac's question, which was so poignant, Father, we've got the wood, we've got the fire, but where's the sacrifice? And of course, Abram didn't turn around and say, it's you, kiddo. And mm-hmm. they just kept walking. And then Abram bound Isaac. Now, Isaac could have taken him in a wrestling match because Abram was over 100 years old and, and Isaac was a teenager. But Isaac was very innocent. Isaac was very obedient. And Isaac was submitting to his father. Right. And so Abram bound Isaac, laid him down on the altar, lifted his knife, and then the angel said, don't do it. Mm-hmm. And then Abram got a ram out of the thicket and replaced Isaac with the ram, and Isaac was free to go. Right. And so there's so many incredible themes here that point to the Messiah. The Messiah was innocent and perfect. He was willing to submit himself to the will of the Father. I think somewhere along the line, Isaac may have realized he was about to die, especially when Abram had the knife up. Yeah. And Yeshua realized that he was about to die, and yet he was willing to go through with it. And in the instance of Isaac, God spared Abram's only son. But of course, the fulfillment of this image, this prophetic image, which is so beautiful and so moving, is John 3.16. Because there, John said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. So God, as Paul would say later, did not spare his son as God spared Isaac. And you know the interesting thing about all of this, Bobby, the ram's horn was, in a sense, uh, is blown to remind the Jewish people that God didn't allow Abram to slay Isaac, but rather provided a ram. So God provided a sacrifice, which is very meaningful, because it was on that very mountain range where the temple would be built, and on that very mountain range where Jesus would die. When we hear the shofar blown, it's a reminder that God provides the sacrifice. And he did provide the sacrifice for us in Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah. At the heart of every believer is a desire to walk in the ways of the Savior. This fall, we'd like to encourage you to go deeper by connecting with our Messiah's culture. 
Throughout the Gospels, we read that Jesus was a Jewish man, celebrating the biblical feasts with his disciples. So the feast days must be significant for us too. And to help you discover the past, present, and prophetic impact of the biblical feasts coming up this fall, we invite you to contact us. We have a variety of articles, books, and newsletters that will help you to learn more about these special appointed times. And you can even invite one of our speakers to your local church. Visit us online at chosenpeople.com radio. That's chosenpeople.com radio. Or connect with us today by calling 888-293-7482. We look forward to hearing from you soon. Welcome back. You're listening to The Chosen People. And coming up right now, we're going to hear from Messianic Rabbi Kurt Schneider, who spent most of his life going through the motions. But in the midst of a serious personal storm, he found the Messiah. I know that you're going to enjoy this testimony of my brother, Kurt. He's got a wonderful ministry, a television uh, show. He's a Bible teacher. And now you're going to hear his heart through his testimony. And I know that it's going to help you really appreciate uh, this season of the year. And the short, distinguished-looking man looks at me and says, Kurt, you've been living for 20 years like a normal person, and I'm going to snap you out of this thing. I stood up. I said, well, can I leave? And one of his big bodyguards said, sit down. Growing up in a very Jewish cultural environment, it never really felt to me that God was a big part of anything. It was much more social. It was that you go to synagogue because you're Jewish, but I don't ever remember God being at the forefront of anything other than simply going through the liturgy, the memorized portion of the prayers that was just, once again, part of having a Jewish identity. I was a very committed athlete. I started wrestling in seventh grade, and every year I got more and more focused on this sport. I would go to sleep at night, and I'd envision myself with my hand raised being the state champ, and I got to the place where I felt there was nobody that I could not beat. I felt like I was in control. It was a great time in life, but things changed just like that. When I looked into the future as a senior in high school, now that wrestling was over, I realized that the world was so much bigger than I was, certainly so much bigger than the people that competed in my weight class in wrestling. I felt afraid. I lost my identity. I lost my purpose. I just got more and more lost and more and more confused. I spent as much time as possible just sleeping to escape the emotional turmoil that I was in. I asked myself, what can I do to give myself that feeling back that I had when I was wrestling? It was such a dark time for me that I had a difficult time remembering any of the good things that had happened to me in life. And I go to sleep one night. It was 1978. In the middle of the night, I was awoken from my sleep. Suddenly, in color, Jesus appeared on the cross. A ray of red light from straight through the sky beamed down on his head. God had just showed me that Jesus was the way to him. The vision lasted no more than two seconds, but I was aware what had happened. 
And I was so excited because somehow I knew that something supernatural had just happened to me. I got up the next morning. I started talking about it, telling everybody about it. I started devouring the Word of God. I was very naive as to what I was about to face when I started telling my Jewish family and friends about this experience. We drove to a hotel. There was a short, distinguished-looking man in a three-piece suit, and then he had two guys next to him, both of them over six feet tall, probably at least 200 pounds. And the short, distinguished-looking man looks at me and says, Kurt, you've been living for 20 years like a normal person, and I'm gonna snap you out of this thing. And I said, I'm not programmed. I just believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And he said, we've got nothing to worry about. I stood up, I said, well, can I leave? And one of his big bodyguards said, sit down. We went back to my home, but one of the bodyguards was with me. He slept in my bedroom that night so that I couldn't escape. And then the next morning, he and I drove to one of their rehabilitation houses in California. It wasn't too long after that. I walk in the home, I see that there's some suitcases standing right at the door. And my dad points out the window to the straight to the parking lot area. He says, you see those, that police car out there? We've probated you to the psychiatric ward of Mount Sinai Hospital in Cleveland, Ohio. Was locked up in the psychiatric ward for two months. It was one of the worst experiences I've ever had in my life. Every day I would wake up and there was no place to go. You couldn't get out. You were locked in this ward. It was a terrible, terrible experience. After two months, I was released. So as a Jewish person, I have been through a lot because of my faith in Jesus. But for me, when I saw the ray of red light in that vision come down on Jesus' head, I knew it was coming from God. I'm so solid in my faith in Jesus, number one, because of the supernatural experiences I've had. Secondly, because I see how the whole Bible is a unified whole and how it all fits together, that going through experiences like the ones that I just described, it never shook my faith. I know that I know. Sure, there's been times that it's like I feel, well, God, where are you? I don't feel you. There's been times that I've got discouraged, but I've never wavered in my faith. See, when I built my life on wrestling, my life was built from the outside in. My life was dependent on something disconnected from myself. But when wrestling ended, I fell apart. Now, I'm building my life on something that's from the inside out. Jesus said he had come to give life and to give it more abundantly, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. I've been on this track now for 40 years, and I can't wait to meet him face to face. God has a reward for everyone that will choose to follow him. Many of us remember exactly where we were that morning of September 11, 2001, when the world stood still. Millions of people all around the world watched in horror. We felt vulnerable and scared, but it brought us together as a nation. As we commemorate the 20th anniversary of that fateful day, we're taking time to honor the 2,996 people who lost their lives. And we're also learning more about how that day changed not only the fabric of the United States, but of the Middle East too, and of our relationship as a country and as followers of Jesus to the Middle East and to Israel. So please join us in person or online this September for a special conference called 
9-11, and the New Middle East. You can visit 911theconference.com, 911theconference.com. Welcome back. You're listening to The Chosen People. So, Mitch, the, uh, the traditional greeting on Rosh Hashanah is, may your name be inscribed in the Book of Life. And we then wish one another a sweet new year. And you know that with greetings like those, there's bound to be food involved. Oh, you bet, Bobby. You know the, the story of Jewish history? They tried to kill us. We beat them back, so we ate. Exactly. I mean, that's, that's, that's the summary of Jewish history. And so the foods really do express the character of the holiday. And so there are a couple of things that we do. We use a special braided Sabbath bread, challah. It's round, baked with raisins, to symbolize the circle of life and the sweetness of the new year. And uh, by the way, my wife makes the best challah there is, not your wife, Bobby. <laughs> and um, she does include a lot of raisins, which is great. I think another very important uh, symbol, which is represented by a, a dish of food, is um, apples. We take apples, we cut them up, slice them up, and then we put a nice little tray of honey uh, on the plate, mm -hmm. and people take the apples, say a special prayer, dip it into honey, and it reminds us that we're hoping, hoping that God will give us a sweet year. Now, the reason we're hoping that God will give us a sweet year is because none of us are ever assured that we'll have a sweet year mm. because Rosh Hashanah kicks off what we call the 10 days of repentance leading to the Day of Atonement, which we'll talk about next week. So, Bobby, we understand that the great theme of Rosh Hashanah is repentance. And in the Jewish mindset, because we have no temple and no atonement, repentance seems to be the pathway to forgiveness and atonement today. Mm -hmm. And so what are some of the traditions surrounding this? Isn't there a tradition about books in heaven being opened up? Share a little bit about this for us. Yeah, so actually the way that it's observed today in the Jewish community, it's suggested that the book of life is opened up on Rosh Hashanah, and then that's when the time of repentance begins, this time of introspection. You begin to ask your family members, your friends, if I have offended you or if I have sinned against you throughout the year, please forgive me. So throughout 10 days from Rosh Hashanah leading up to Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, there's constant repentance. And there's this desire and this attempt to do things just right so that you can assure that your name is written in the Book of Life because now it's open. Now's your chance for the next year. And then when Yom Kippur ends, at the, the very last service, it's called the Ne'ilah service, the books close, and then your fate is sealed for the next year. I know growing up in a Jewish home, I always knew that something was missing. At the end of Rosh Hashanah, I never knew for sure where I stood with God. By accepting Jesus as our Messiah, the atonement, the real atonement for our sins, that's the only way we could know where we stand with God. The only way to get your name transcribed in the Lamb's Book of Life is by accepting the sacrifice of the Lamb of God for your sins. This is The Chosen People, and this program can be heard every weekend right here on your local radio station, or you can catch the program online when you visit chosenpeople.com radio. And then before we close today, let me remind you that next weekend, we are going to be presenting a special September 11th conference online, and we'd love for you to join us. You can hear from Mitch Glazer, from Michael Rydelnik, from Joel Rosenberg, Anne Graham Lotz, and many more. 
To sign up today or to learn more, just visit chosenpeople.com slash radio. And now to close us with the ironic benediction, here's Mitch once again. Yisadonai panavalecha v'yasem lecha shalom. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord lift His countenance upon you and be gracious to you. May the face of the Lord shine upon you and give you peace. B'Shem Shel Yeshua HaMashiach, Sar Shalom, in the name of Jesus the Messiah, the Prince of Peace. The Chosen People is produced and sponsored by Chosen People Ministries.